Welcome to the Technicast, a community of academic podcasters. In this episode, speculative science fiction writer Summer Meadow Phillips shares her writing and ideas on speciesism and shared beingness. Hello, my name is Summer Meadow Phillips and I'm a second year PhD student at Kingston University London where for part of my PhD, I'm writing a short story collection around the themes of human beings' perceptions and behaviours towards non-human beings, speciesism, and alternate visions of shared beingness. My critical work focuses on non-human animal worlds within science and speculative fiction, as I argue that speculative thought can truly alter real worlds. In this podcast, I will be sharing with you some of the reasons behind my inquiry and two sections of a story, which I hope illustrates why I do the work that I do. In a small mountain town in Andalusia, Spain, residents of Galera protested the idea of a proposed macrogranius, a gigantic pig farm, being built alongside their attractive and historical community. Dialogue with residents suggested the main problem lay with the smell and not wishing for slurry to contaminate local drinking water. When asked about how such intensive conditions might affect the pigs themselves, crammed together in intense heat in their thousands, awaiting their fate, most residents admitted that this thought hadn't crossed their minds. Questioning how human beings consider non-human beings is the basis for my inquiry into human minds, animal minds, and how the two interweave. By looking beyond our real world to alternate worlds offered by science and speculative fiction, we can move beyond the shared entanglement suggested by Donna Haraway and Timothy Morton, whilst also unearthing how what we read affects how we live. The work bridges a gap between scientific studies of non-human experience of world and consideration of how speculative thought and literature can create positive change for non-human beings. The project tackles this by addressing current ideologies of the similarities and differences between the human and the non-human, and asks how creative writing can illustrate issues around speciesism and human behaviour towards the other, if such a thing exists. Looking to authors and thinkers encouraging increased awareness of non-human animal minds, relationships, and rights to not have these cut short by human intervention, such as Geoffrey Masson, Susan McCarthy, Jonathan Balcom, and Mark Beekoff provides a springboard for extending this awareness into the world of science and speculative literature. The project will build on insightful ideas by authors in this genre writing of more than human worlds, such as Jeff Vandermeer, Carol M. Schwiller, David Walton, and Karen Travis. My story collection, entitled Millimeter, interweaves short speculative fiction stories exploring perceptions and creations of world, species discrimination and other-mindedness against backdrops of altered ecologies and parallel universe contemplation. The accompanying critical aspect questions how human-animal perceptions and relations are played out in science and speculative fiction literature, which often places non-human species in specific hierarchies and paints humans and their ways of life as pinnacles of evolution. In conclusion, the Millimeter Project makes a case for speculative thought and literature combining to offer new possibilities for improved futures and calls for a revisioning of non-human animals and ecologies, thus contributing to positive change for the benefit of all living beings. Now I'm going to read part of my short story, Sheepish. Autumn was bullshit. Sunshine, storms, who knew what would materialise? A global mess of temperatures gifted by the last generations. 
skin either crisping or follicles full of goosebumps. Nora had stripped herself naked and launched into the green water for nothing much, just more plastic. She retrieved anything useful. This wasn't useful, not to her, but Herb could have it. She thought it was a fallen orb at first, worth the skirmish with the crocodile, which in hindsight probably wouldn't have eaten her. The world may have metamorphosized, but she still found herself less than enamored with some species. On the bank, she retrieved her patches and dressed. Shit, she was late. Waiting, she counted the freckles on one arm. She hadn't paid them much attention before. Not using the shelters much and ranging mostly in the open amplified the pale scars amongst the tanned creases too. She didn't know how many freckles she had. Shouldn't she know this? Shouldn't one know everything about one's own body by this point in life? You're late, she said as her companion approached, adding, aren't bodies fascinating? <laughs> Mine is, replied the sheep in its way. Yours is an anomaly. The sheep had approached her yesterday, around the same time, near this old lightning-felled tree. It seemed to think it had a sense of humour. An anomaly, you say. But aren't you the one that pissed themselves yesterday when I asked you to switch? Huh? You unnerved me, said the sheep. I couldn't hold the concentration lock with you. And that's what we do when we get unnerved, as normal as any of your weird behaviours. Hmm, you're going to run away again today? Nora reached out. Don't touch me. Difficult animal sheep. So wary. She couldn't blame them. Sheep had not had the best time of it. Sorry, she said. She had contemplated sheep behavior, but you can't predict so much about a species view of the world. And like humans, they were all individuals. So she certainly wasn't able to predict this exact sheep's behavior. Human behavior had been easier to predict, well, before it happened. Now, not so much. They were all still learning. If the world could be changed back, would it be better? For humans, probably. For others, likely not so. B, C, before consciousness. It felt like so long ago. Anyway, she'd know more about the sheep soon enough. Well then, the sheep barred. A mutual agreement, and they moved. She was seamlessly transported into the sheep's body. Early B, C, it had felt bizarre just arriving in somebody else's body like that. Like the shock you'd get if someone leapt out at you during a hide-and-seek game and yelled boo in your face. But new things become somewhat familiar with repetition and time. Immense hunger drove her immediately to vacuum the grasses and clover, easier than her human form at eating and moving at the same time. Quite impressive, at least more so than an earlier human attempt at eating a chocolate bar whilst running, which hadn't worked out so well for her. The sheep would have fared much better, she mused losing concentration on what she was ingesting as she became aware of the sensation of warmth and the feel of wool wrapping around her. Her vision then picked up her familiars. She recognized them by face, kin or friends, mischiefs and frauds, two daughters headbutting each other playfully. She had no language as she knew it for this, but it was all there, all the same, a whole world of existence. She would call it the sheep knowing. Bah, a harsh wrench in the chest, a memory. A commotion from the sheep's mother, a tearing separation, removal, pain, aching, screaming. The sheep hadn't seen her mother after that. A flicker of human thought in her mind reminded her that flesh-eating had stopped not long after the orbs had arrived. Flesh-eating. Did the sheep who had never shifted into humans know about this? They must know, mustn't they? Intrigue oozed from the sheep. Now, in human form, in a human body, 
on the other side of the flip. This sheep was a first timer. She felt squashed or stretched, one of the two or both, as she crouched down with sensations of vertigo. This was life out of proportion, too high up. How did these beings balance on just two limbs? She had wanted to try shifting with the being yesterday, but had panicked. Maybe one of those small ground creatures might have been a better first choice, or a winged being. No, on reflection, not a winged one, certainly too high for comfort. The ground was her friend. No hunger. Hmm, a sheep was always hungry. She stood again, moved her limbs. Were there more joints than usual? Try a jump, maybe. Mm, fell, picked herself up again. Tried running, kicking her legs up and tripping over the things on the end of them, making a noise she sensed as laughing, whatever that meant. It was an awkward, breathy sound, but oddly joyful. Hey! Ooh. Other such gurglings like that escaped the mouth, hiccuping kind of bleats, as she ran to another sheep who peed and ran away, like a human had got close. Aha, <gasps> uh -huh. I'm the human, she laughed again. What a fragmented sound. Her thoughts were caught somewhere between pictures and knowledge in a mind that wasn't her own, but was. She saw her species through other eyes, the comprehension mismatched. Sheep looked similar with this vision. Where were the differences she knew so well? A fan of wings skirted out from branches above, and some impulse occurred before a wetness was detected between her lower limbs, penetrating cloth wrapping the legs. Another reaction sound, this time, oops. Now I'm just going to skip to the end of the story. An event in another parallel universe has caused changes in temporality in Nora's world, allowing for these consciousness switches. And as things settle, consciousness now stays in whatever body it is currently in, causing Nora to be locked inside the sheep. For reference, Herb is Nora's close friend, and Sal, his partner, is a vet. Flash. And in a field, a sheep ran over and tried to barge through the fence, bleating with force. In a deep memory, she knew that it would soon be lambing. Herb and Sal had decided to treat the animals together. He could learn more, just in case anything were ever to happen to either of them. Best they both knew all they could. They were with the sheep today. One in particular kept behaving strangely towards them. First nuzzling, but then pure agitation. They really had to grapple with it to hold it down. Do you think that maybe, he said to Sal, that maybe this isn't the right thing to be doing to these animals, that maybe there's a better way to feed the survivors? Sal injected the sheep with a tranquilizer. You don't really think they know what's coming, do you, Herb? The insemination? Oh, they must feel pain when the lambs are taken, he sighed. There was something about this sheep. It was too familiar, like he knew it. Do you think they know, she asked. I must admit, I often catch myself wondering how they feel. Nora barred. She was losing consciousness. They didn't know her. They didn't know she was in there. She had no way to tell them. I love that you care about these sheep, Sal smiled at Herb. But really, worlds don't just change like that. Nora closed her eyes, and the world she was trapped inside temporarily went away. Hi, Summer. Thank you very much for your contribution to our Technicast. I really enjoyed it. I just want to ask you a couple of questions about your research. So I thought I'd start by asking, um, could you summarise speciesism, it's very hard to say, um, <laughs> and uh, shared beingness for us? 
Yeah, basically, speciesism is discrimination according to species. It can kind of be um, highlighted if we think about why, for example, most people love dogs and cats, panda bears and rabbits, but are quite happy for animals that we might not see as having as much value or being as viable, such as um, rats and mice, bats, for example, um, and why we choose to sort of eat the, the animals that we choose to eat rather than others and discriminate against other cultures for their choices. So basically, yeah, it's looking at why we categorise according to our perceived values. Um, the sense of shared beingness is... is um, it's a little bit like animism, really. It's alluding to us all being part of the world, the biosphere as a whole, and that everything is interconnected. And it's absolutely impossible to separate ourselves out. So why we tend to categorise human and everything else as being other is nonsensical. So it's this sense of having a shared experience of the world and, and, and realising that we are all interdependent. And so that feeds into my next question, which is that you suggest that our current ecological crisis could benefit from a repositioning of the discussion to include all living beings equally. So could you explain a little bit more about how you think this could work? Well, I'm of the opinion that humans are quite a, a destructive species and quite a destructive force. I mean, we've contributed to and are continuing to cause species extinction, not just animal, but plant extinction. I mean, I spent some time in Africa and seeing what's happening with the sort of monocrop plantations and what's that that's doing to the communities, let alone, you know, the orangutans, for example. So I think um, this human centrism that we seem to have is actually not doing anybody any favours, not even ourselves. So I think we really need to have, I've, I've started using this term of a, a revisioning. We have to have a real change in perspective and we have to take in that we are part of something much bigger before we destroy everything, not just for other species, but for ourselves in particular as well. And you also say that this kind of speculative thought, which is at the base of the kind of science fiction writing that you're into, can actually create positive thought in non-human beings. So I was wondering how that works as well. Well, science fiction is things made possible and, and speculative fiction just nudges it slightly outside of that. So there is more imagination being able to be accessed. And I think you've seen in sort of science fiction, right? I mean, if we go way back to like Jules Verne, for example, you see how that has a knock on effect in real world events, creations, experiences and, and, and outlooks. I think we've seen the same with George Orwell, more recently with Margaret Atwood. Margaret Atwood, and this isn't a direct quote, but I remember he hearing her talk about this, and she said that she writes the things she writes in the hope that they won't happen, not in the hope that they will. And very sadly, some of the things actually are happening as if it's been predicted in the past. So I think it is a very good medium, and I think it's very tempting to write about negative dystopian futures. But what I'm hoping to, to present with or invite thought on in my collection is that there might still be time for, for positive change, but it does require action. And it's very easy sort of doing a PhD that's sort of got quite a, a philosophical element to it. But you do think that people just sit around and think and talk about things a lot. Actually, we are required to do something here, I think, if we need to see that positive change. Yeah, I agree. Um... And I, I really loved your story and I, and I got that, that, that it's actually quite positive. It's quite sort of scary, but mm. it, it's done in a beautiful way because the characters are actually quite engaging and sort of positive 
there's a lot of empathy between all the different characters isn't yeah there? I try and make them relatable yeah. yeah I used to read Philip K Dick and it reminded me of one of my favorite stories which was Beyond Great. Lies the Warp yeah yeah that's um, a fantastic story I'm actually writing I've been writing a bit today actually um, one of the stories in the collection actually pays, pays homage to that story a little bit. It's such an intelligent, well-written short story that sort of muses on, you know, how we can't get past our own perspectives. But in the end, yeah, I won't, won't give the spoiler away, but it's a very, very clever story. And yeah, I would advise listeners to, to have a look at that. It's, it's great. Yeah. And he's written a lot of the non-human worlds as well. If we go back to Blade Runner, in Blade Runner, you don't see the whole animal element that's in the book the do android stream of electric sheep and the whole motivation of Deckard is because he wants a real animal because there's there's only electric animals in the world now so that's his motivation for his actions which they've cut out of the whole film which is why it's really interesting to go back to the literature even if you think you know the story yeah that's mm -hmm. that's really interesting mm -hmm. so you you mentioned Donna Haraway and Susan McCarthy as a science fiction writer yourself how do you think the gender balance is playing out for women's work well, I'm reading quite a lot of, of, of stuff. I mean, I'm reading whatever I can get my hands on. And the great thing about sort of doing a PhD and having peers is that, you know, people are always recommending. Somebody said, oh, have you read this Bulgarian science fiction about it? I was like, oh, no, but I must. But yeah, I think there's quite a fair balance from what I've come across. I mean, there's writers such as um, Taryn Travis, who's written a whole series of science fiction stories called The, the West Har Wars. And it's the first series that I've actually sort of read where there's mention of veganism, which is quite interesting. That's really fascinating. A strong female main character as well. And then you've got Sherry Tepper, American. She's written loads of fascinating stories like Companions and Grass. And she's written of sort of non-human animals, but also sentient plants and things like that, which is quite unique, especially because she was writing about them sort of in the 70s and 80s as well. And you've got male writers as well writing about sort of the conscious lives of animals, which I think is quite interesting because I think in the animal rights movement, a lot, a lot of the activists are women. So um, to get the male perspective, which I would consider quite a compassionate perspective, is quite interesting. Jeff Vandermeer is a really great author. He's written a great book called Born. That's my favourite one about this creature that starts off like a sea anemone, but then morphs into a different creature. So you can't categorise it. And you can't discriminate, it's always changing. It's really interesting. Um, and one more I mentioned, David Walton. Um, he's written The Genius Plague, which is about the hive mind of, of mushrooms, of fungi, and how they um, release spores that humans ingest that changes their behavior and then makes them want to save the rainforest. So it's oh, kind of like selfish mushrooms, but it's done in a really interesting way. So these are the writers that I'm thinking, they're thinking out of the box and they're writing from the point of view of something other. I think it's so interesting, those people who are really having a go at it, which I suppose and, and is what I'm trying to do as well. So just coming back to your story, I love the image of Nora diving into the green water to re mm -hmm. retrieve plastic. And I assumed that this was referring to the sea and what the sea has become. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just wanted to ask you if that was what you were thinking and if that for you is inevitable uh, or or if it's salvageable yeah part of me thinks it is inevitable and and part of me thinks that this the way that we segment the world isn't doing us any favors either for example there's no point taking all the plastic out of the oceans if we decimate all the fish that are in the oceans 
um, if we don't stop using it or yeah or yeah so I mean if, yeah. The, the, the big thing on Netflix at the moment is Seaspiracy which I would really advise people to watch and there's Cowspiracy as well and I think it really brings to life the full impact of what we're doing and it's it's very different than just going down the shop and, and, and buying buying your dinner it's actually when you see the catastrophic effects when everybody is doing that I think sometimes we need to watch things that are uncomfortable and hear things and go through those debates with ourselves and with others, even though change is difficult. Mm. That's, that's so interesting. It's the responsibility of the individual to change each of our, mm. our habits. Um, and so finally, please, can you tell me what the it was <laughs> that happened in the story and BC mm -hmm. before consciousness, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. and, and did, did it have a happy ending? Did Nora get out of the sheep? Or was it happy for her to stay in the sheep? Yeah, well, the, the story is part of a collection of 12 stories, which are all interweaved, which I've written about half of, um, although I have got the, I've got the storylines for the rest. And it's basically based on multiversal parallel universe contemplation. I got quite into reading the works of futuristic physicist Michio Kaikus many, many years ago, and that stayed with me. So I was sort of looking at what would happen on alternate versions of our world if our perceptions of being were different. So the it is kind of a catalyst that goes through the stories of how these shifts happen through, through the different parallel universes, whether we're looking at string theory or bubble universe or something like that. I'm not going to tell you what the ending is because it's a spoiler and I would really like people to actually read the full story because what you've got in the podcast is... It's just the beginning and just the end. So it would be, it would be really nice for people to have that, that full story when, when the collection comes out or, or if I you know, release it somewhere else earlier. Um, and then I'll, I'll be, I'll be sure to let you know. But I was really interested how you're interested in the outcome for Nora and not for the yeah. sheep. <laughs> Fall into our own trap. <laughs> Of course, yeah. <laughs> well, I did feel for the sheep because the sheep was having vertigo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. Thank you so much, Summer. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to the Technicast. And thanks also to Techne for their support. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share and rate us. If you'd like to submit your own podcast, please get in touch with us at technicaster at gmail.com. You can find out more about our upcoming themes on our website or in Techne's newsletter. We look forward to hearing from you. And join us again next time to discover another researcher's fascinating work.